Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. Thanks for joining us on the S2 Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, and today we're excited to chat with Dr. Annie Shadel. Her experience includes the Director of Mental Performance with the New York Jets, the Senior Research Performance Psychologist with the United States Air Force School of Aerospace Medicine, and has been a performance consultant with Nike, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and USA Track and Field. Today, we dive into the importance of controlling critical moments in performance and the role of intrinsic motivation in athletes achieving success. Dr. Shadle also explores the challenges of integrating data analytics and managing the vast amount of information available to coaches, performance staffs, and front office executives. We conclude by discussing the role of focus and distraction control in performance and the importance of understanding individual strengths and weaknesses in player development. For those that are new here, welcome. We're excited to have you today. And for those that are returning listeners, we always appreciate your support. To help us continue our growth, we ask that you subscribe, rate, and review the show. We hope you enjoy Dr. Annie Shadle. All right, Dr. Annie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a long time coming. I don't know how many times we've asked to have you on the podcast, but I'm glad that we're finally here making it work. Can you describe for the listener just some of your background? I know it's really diverse. Olympics, MBA, NFL, you've been all over the place, military. Can you describe kind of your walk and how you got here? Yeah, I would say I usually just like to start from, um, I grew up in a household of educators. So my mom's a teacher, my dad was a teacher and a coach. And so I do think that my upbringing impacted me on my career path and my journey. Um, so having that understanding, education was always important. And I always just enjoyed sports. I was around sports, um, got involved in athletics early. And I think from that foundation, it just launched me into more of my passions of what, of what I have done in my career so far. When I think about, I've always been very fascinated with sport environments and how do the best of the best do what they do? And so, you know, part of that started selfishly as an athlete at Nebraska and really trying to understand how do I best um, get myself to accomplish the goals that I wanted to accomplish um, from a physiological standpoint. And so was heavy into physiology, understanding physiology, um, just getting the most out of your body. And then as I went through my athletic journey, really came to understand the importance of the mind and just that connection, um, especially those athletes that just thrive, right? No matter what the environment is, they just get it done. And sure, there's talent, talent's important, um, but more so what I observed and, and started to pay more attention to was the athletes that continually got it done. So those that were talented, yes, but continue to work hard. Those that maybe weren't so talented, continue to work hard, but were co consistently on the podium, winning the medals, uh, winning the championships, whatever that, whatever that was. So that launched me into more of my research base um, post undergrad. And that was really looking at, first I was looking at my graduate um, dissertation and, and PhD work was really trying to understand from the athlete and coach's perspective, what are the things that impact performance? Um, so it, with looking within the psychosocial aspects, so the sport environment, um, wanting to know about the coach-athlete relationship, more of those communication, the trust, some of those interpersonal dynamics that um, are important. We know that are important. 
and just had a really good understanding for, okay, this is what the best of the best do. So I was looking at things like self-determination, motivation. Um, I was looking at positive psychology, more of a framework of that, just because I, I'm always interested in, yes, performance and excellence, but also the well-being of the human. Well, that was um, my next question was like, what yeah. are your findings? Like, what, what did you find when trying to go into all that? Yeah. So the best of the best. So I was studying Olympic medal winners and specifically Olympic champions. Um, we had a larger study, but I'll just kind of zone in on that. I can, I can get into the heavy, heavy weeds pretty quickly. Cause I kind of, I really enjoy research. Um, but, but point is, is self-determination theory. So self-determination theory, you need intrinsic motivation is the foundation of that, right? So a sense of autonomy, so being able to make decisions, for example, with my coach, um, having a say in what I'm doing, feeling um, responsible. Um, so having that autonomy, a sense of belonging, connectedness, and then competence. So do I have the knowledge and skills that it takes to get it done? And then those three elements lay the foundation for intrinsic motivation. Um, and through that study, yes, all those things were there with Olympic champions. Um, and then looking at the well-being aspects, so looking at experiences with positive emotion, engagement, positive relationships, having a sense of meaning and purpose and accomplishment, so all those well-being things, um, right? And, and I think one thing I can tease out here is just because, like, sport is not perfect every day, right? We have these, like, really, really hard days, um, but in general, the best athletes that I've worked with and been around have been able to understand the bigger picture, Right. They've been able to pull out, change perspectives, have a have a deeper understanding of what this means in the larger picture. Um, and in listening to the stories, I did a narrative design for that research project. You could really hear their ability to change perspectives. Right. So even though it was a really hard day or they were going through an injury or had a conflict with the coach, they were able to shift and have an understanding of, well, I understand this is what my coach was trying to communicate. I understand this was really important for me at that time because maybe I was being stubborn or maybe I wasn't listening to what he was, the message was coming from my coach. Um, so that was really cool to see within that well-being model, right? Um, and then these critical moments, that was the other just major aha, right? So the, the major finding within that research study was controlling the Olympic moment. And what, what that means is that in the moment, um, there are these critical moments along our journey. So specifically with the Olympics, it's every four years, there's a lot of pressure, you've got to get it done on that day. And so these challenges happen at different points, right? Whether it's an injury um, a week out from trials, whether it's a conflict with the coach in the warm-up area before you're going to your Olympic final, right? So there are these critical moments that happen. And any any game you watch, right, you can, we have the playoffs going on right now. So you, you can see these critical moments in the game. Um, and so in that, it was the controlling the Olympic, Olympic moment was about athletes being able to recognize what was happening and making the adjustments that they needed to make to get to the goal, win in the real medal time. in real time. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. So really understanding what those critical moments were and then you know, from the psychological perspective, what were they saying to themselves? What was their mindset? What were they focusing in on? And that's really what I wanted to hone in on. Um, and it's very clear what the best of the best athletes do in those critical moments. Annie, are, are there any measurables that can be associated with that? So it sounds like you're almost describing somebody who's, who's sort of flexible in their thinking and they aren't very rigid. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I could see in those moments, 
relying on rigidity, right? I mean, this is what got me there. This is my routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when something changes that, you know, it, it some people can deal with that change and, and some yeah. people can't. Are there measurables for that for that kind of behavior? This is this is a great question because this is like where I feel like our work aligns, right? So with S2 cognition and what you're able to look at from the cognitive standpoint. And then my second area of research, which is more really understanding personality traits. So again, from that, I kind of look at things from a holistic view of, you know, understanding, you know, what is what is the cognition, right? So what is their cognitive power? I think that's the phrase you guys use. It's more of the cognitive power. Um, and then as we've as we've talked, overlaying that personality. When I've done um, personality evaluations or personality assessments, um, it helps me understand and just get a better picture. Personality is dynamic. Um, again, depending on what age you are, there are certain aspects of our personality that are kind of there. And then there's other ones that we can kind of work with. So in terms of like measurables, that is something that gives me a basis, but again, it's, it's human behavior. And I think this is another area that we often talk about is you can get a snapshot of someone's personality or even, um, have an understanding of what their behavior is often in in stressful situations or under pressure. So I think all of those things make it dynamic. So yes, there are measurables, um, but again, how you utilize that, I think in the sport world, which is also what we're usually getting after is how do you develop a person and how do you help them in this moment when performance matters and, you, and your best of the best is the only thing that's going to get the job done. So what you're saying is there's no crystal ball out there, right? <laughs> Wow, man, I would, I would love. Wow, yeah, I think even in my, uh, in my, I think I could share the story. I'll, I'll share it anyways. It's really interesting because when you do, yeah, when you have the psychology term, I'm sure, I know you guys have gone through this as well. It's they oftentimes people assume that you're judging them or you're analyzing them or you have this like crystal ball where you can foresee the future. And one of the things I, I often like to repeat is like the best prediction of future behavior is past behavior just to have an understanding of how a person is. But yeah, there's there's no magic crystal ball. People have free will and choice. And, um, you know, we're just doing the best of the that we can to to help people move in the right direction to accomplish their goals. You mean the on paper versus actual performance? Hey, on paper, this team should do this team and spread and you've got all this yeah. stuff. And that's why there's so much. It's very fascinating because they still have to, regardless, go out, put the chin strap on, put their mouthpiece in. Sometimes, although I've noticed guys not wearing it a lot, um, <laughs> they still have to go play, right? That's right. Yeah, that makes it fun because if we if we had all the answers, if we had the crystal ball, that's like not fun. It takes it takes it out of it versus, you know, I don't know. This is what we think, and this is where we can help, and let's see what happens. Right. I mean, that's what the whole discussion right now in the football landscape is analytics, you know. And yes. um, I just think, you know, and S2 obviously has gotten wrapped up in this, um, you know, it just being able to predict what's going to happen using data points. Data just, data guides us, right? It doesn't drive what's going to happen. Um, it's really interesting, Annie, you know, so you've been at some really high-powered places. And in the last place you were, I was just blown away by the the staff, the performance staff uh, there. How do you guys navigate 
integrating all these pieces of data? I mean, you've just talked about personality and cognition, but clearly there's a ton that goes into this with all sorts of uh, data analytics. You've got physical data, you've got cognitive data, you've got uh, behavioral and, and psychological. And how do you guys at, at these organizations, how do you manage all that data and sort of make sense of it in a, in a meaningful way? Yeah, I think that's that's the challenge. And I think it's important. Um, everyone has their lens. And so I'm going to see um, performance through my lens and others are going to see their performance, performance through their lens. Um, and I think one of the things is you're correct with like all of the data and how overwhelming that can be because I'm trained as a researcher, just like you are, you're able to like not become overwhelmed by the data. Right. So it's having an understanding of what the data is suggesting or, or having alerting us to, we can say, but then everything comes back to, okay, what can, what are we doing today? Right. Like what are, what are the goals for today? What can we impact today with, understanding this and trying to improve this. Um, so really just teasing out the goal setting is what I would say, right? So like, what are the areas that we need to make a difference in? And oftentimes that can feel overwhelming, but really you can only work on one or two things at a time, right? To actually make that change. And so again, it's just having an understanding, being able to look at where there is overlap, what are the common themes, what's most important right now, prioritize that to then put that into a player development or whatever the goal is for the individual player. Um, what I have found pretty interesting is speaking with coaches and just, again, I, I have a better understanding of the cognitive side and the personality side. And then when I'm speaking with coaches and consulting with coaches, hearing from their lens, what they're seeing. And then when I share some things, either from their cognition or their personality, it like clicks for them like oh that's why the repeat the repeat ability isn't there that's why you know on this rep it's clear and it's great and on this rep it's not and so when we're able to put our brains together and actually consult on those issues it, it becomes more clear in terms of what ne what needs to get implemented at practice today or this week to help improve whatever we're trying to improve on the field. Well, that was my next follow-up question was what are, there have to be barriers, right? Because everyone gets, I mean, yeah. think about the space that you just left. Everyone gets a lot of the same information, a lot of similar people and pulling data points. And I know everyone's got their ways that they get data, how they get data, what companies they use, et cetera. But everyone has a lot of data to work with. What are some of those barriers when consulting with coaches? And I know some big time coaches that you've been consulting with. What are some of the barriers you feel, whether it be psych space, cognitive space? Because at the end of the day, as the player you know, performance staff, your goal is to help them perform better. And so what are some of those barriers when you're including that information for to the coaches and, um, in that space? I mean, honestly, the first thing that comes into my mind is fatigue and okay. there has to be a sense of openness, right? So um, I think when there is space and time to have open dialogue and, and have, be in more of that creative space and or innovative thinking space, the receptivity has been there. Um, I guess I should rewind and let's, let's assume that the found that the relationship is there, right? Sure. Let's assume yeah. that there's Number like one. a relationship right. built. Let's assume that this person is open to 
hearing, working, working together. Um, we're making assumptions that they assume that this is going to help them coach better, or we're assuming that that, I guess those things are all barriers as well. Cause there is like an educational piece to that as well. Um, but I think that some of the stronger barriers come when there's just no time and there's no fatigue and there's frustration and it doesn't feel like there's an easy, easy go. Um, so I think those are the bigger barriers as you move through season that, that happen. If time um, is the biggest barrier, if you'd say, if they are all the other things, willing, they want to learn all these type of, and, and incorporate, is it just because that's the way we've always done things? I mean, Brandon and I were joking about this when we jumped on about Groundhog Day and just being the way America does things. Yeah. Is, is that just because that's how the sport has always been? Or when you get those new, new age type focused, you know, young guys that are trying to understand and facilitate and put more time in, right? There's less time in meetings. We've seen meetings shrink. We've seen walkthroughs increase. We've seen all recovery time increase. Is it changing if time is the biggest barrier? I think time is an issue. We prioritize various things. And I would say that we often just get into routines, but there's not like the quality there, right? And again, like as we move through things, you're not being really intentional. At least from my perspective, you're not being as intentional as you need to be. And talking about barriers, like one of the barriers that I see is that there isn't just like point blank room for this specific piece, right? So if we think about cognition, if we think about psychology, if we think about mindset, if we think about that type of training, there's already barriers to that. Um, and there are ways to integrate better in the classroom, I would say. So if we think about the studying that happens within certain sports and the time spent in learning, um, like how are we best maximizing that? And I think that's an area for that can be vastly improved. So we're maximizing everyone's time, but also getting done the work that needs to get done in a specific targeted high quality type of way. You know, that, that brings, it uh, brings up a thought. I, in education, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, I believe. But when I was growing up, there was no like real dedication to learning or understanding how a child learns. Um, everybody was put in the same classroom. Didn't matter if you had a learning disability or developmental disability. And now that I have children that have gone through schooling, it's very different, right? We're trying to understand the individual differences between how kids learn, how they process information. We're trying to support them and build around them. Do you find that that is the case in sports? Do you find like we're trying to understand how each of these kids is different? I mean, one of the one of the points that is always made is like, hey, this this quarterback, right? This quarterback is an elite quarterback. He just doesn't work in that system. He didn't get a shot in the NFL because, you know, he couldn't play under X coordinators system or whatever. Do you find that we're trying to at least understand how these kids are wired and, and how they learn and how they maximize their potential and trying to help in that setting? Yeah, I would say that it's, it's, it's yes and no, right? Again, it's what, what is this person's background in terms of like the coaching or the organization and what are they open to? And again, I come from, my families are educators. And so I come from the philosophy that 
you can learn better. Everyone can learn. It's just a matter of, are you willing to be patient enough to help this person learn? And is this person at this age, right? In the professional, um, professional sports, is this person motivated and focused in on getting better? And oftentimes, right, this is where personality comes in is oftentimes there's conflict, right? There's conflict between coaches, there's conflict between, um, the, the players that they're coaching or the athletes that they're coaching. And oftentimes that causes um, impact in terms of what we're actually being learned, right? And and the coach thinks it needs to be done this way and the athlete needs to be think, thinks it needs to be done this way. Um, so again, a lot of this work is how do we come together? How do we come together? How do we build the best plan? How is everyone on board? And that in itself is a barrier and a challenge to getting athletes better as well. When a player performs poorly, and I know it's going to sound oversimplified, so just bear with me while (laughs) I walk through this. When a player performs poorly, um, and it could be for a multitude, I mean, you could literally turn the question right back around on me and say, well, what did he do to perform poorly? Was it this, this, and this? And that's where we're going to segment and how to, you know, uh, make sure that the development staff does what he's supposed to do to get better. But let's just simplify it and say, when a player performs poorly, what are the very next steps that you've taken that you've seen work? Um, can you just walk the audience through that like next process before like that next, they got to perform again at some point. And so what is the time, what are you doing in your experience from the time the game is over until that next, until that next performance? Yeah, great question. Um, one, how are the emotions settling, right? There's usually a lot of emotions uh, post-competition. And I do, I love that time because it's raw, it's unfiltered. There's no like really wall. It's just like um, processing exactly what happened. So you're getting it in real time, just the rawness of it. Um, And then usually the next day, there's a little bit more clarity of, um, yeah, just more clarity of this is what happened. This This is why it was, not a great performance. They've had time to watch and see the film and Mm -hmm. I and Sky don't lie. Right. So they know where it is. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then from that, it's okay, what do we need to do to get back? Right. But number one is, is processing and having a deeper reflection on on, an understanding. And I cannot emphasize how much a debrief is or how much a a reflection is and really being able to do that without beating the crap out of yourself. So most of the athletes that I work with, very high level, very high achieving. And part of that comes with this highly critical. That's also the environment that they live and breathe in is highly critical. But how can we not beat the crap out of ourselves and actually try to take that emotional piece out of it and look at it objectively and really pinpoint what happened? Was it the communication? Was it not understanding exactly what was happening? Do we need to go back to the studying? Do we need more reps um, on the field? Do we need more mental reps? Uh, What was your mindset going into the game? What was happening when things maybe weren't going your way? So there's so much there to debrief and reflect on to then be able to decide what the next steps are. But really, I think, again, the starting and the most important piece is just like letting those emotions settle, trying to be productive and not destructive with how you're reacting and responding with a bad performance. More of the stress of a bad performance comes because of the things that get written about you and the things you have to face in the media and all of those things, right? So part of that is, do we need to process some of that before we can get to the actionable items that you're in control of? So sometimes 
just walking with an athlete through that and and giving space to their feelings about maybe how they're being perceived, maybe things that have been said to them and getting them back into a good mindset and a good space of self-worth and and confidence um, before we get after and tackle, okay, exactly what are we doing today to get better? What are you um, going to do this week in practice? What's our goal for tomorrow? And then also more of the mental reps. So we watch film, a lot of you know, players watch film. Um, yeah. A lot of athletes watch film and, um, you think about what you're putting in your brain, right? And if I'm watching the same mistakes over and over and over again and getting ripped about the mistakes that I'm making, well, what is your brain focusing in on? And what is, what is your brain remembering? It's remembering all of the things that were mistakes. So trying to work with players and coaches on let's show them a positive rep, show them how to do it. Well, go back to, when this individual did it well, or find someone that does it perfectly, does the technique perfectly and exactly how you want to execute it. And let's get those mental reps going in your mind. Because again, it's focused. So if you focus in on the mistakes, that's what your brain's going to remember versus if you focus in on how it's done and um, kinesthetically, you can feel that and see that that's what your brain's going to remember. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Yeah. No, I, I, I asked for a simple answer, but I knew it wasn't a simple question. (laughs) Well, I mean, what's wild is just how much all of this discussion highlights how difficult it is to achieve success, totally. especially at the highest level. I mean, you're talking about just even conversation or thoughts and things like that going into it. So, right. So just because you scored 98 on the S2 doesn't mean you're going to win a Super Bowl, right, Harrison? I mean, is that... It? Yeah, look, I what I'm really getting at, and this is where I really wanted to get to, was how many athletes at that level that you've worked with at the end of the day, turn and say, that was my fault. And they take ownership and then they move on from it to a better spot. I don't feel like it's got to be low. It's got to be lower than we think because the struggle, the not putting blame, not taking ownership. What percentage of athletes after a mistake is made, take ownership and move on in a healthy manner? I would actually say say? the individuals that I've worked with, I would say a high percentage. That's fantastic. Um, what, What was the second part? Did you say though? Moving no, I, forward, like you said, something about like moving forward po- positively in a healthy that, manner. Yeah. And that's where it gets messed up. Oh, right. Okay, like that's, okay. I think, where it gets messed up because I think that there's an understanding of, ah, this is like what I needed to do better. Right. And again, you have to think about these individuals. They're very high achievers and they have very strong opinions about what they need to do, what um, their teammates need to do to achieve. And so is there a mismatch there, right? Like, is there a clear understanding of what this identity is in the offense or what the identity is in the defense and or within the team, um, whatever sport we're working with, like, is there an understanding and, and clear, clear vision of what those, what those objectives are? Like, what is your actual job? And I've seen athletes get stuck in how to move on in a healthy way, <laughs> mm. right? So how do I communicate with um, how I feel like I need to be utilized, where my my strengths align, align, and how this fits in with the team. And of course, every player wants reps and they want to be the star and they want everything, they want it for themselves, right? They want to be able to perform at the highest level for themselves. And so that's a piece that I think can be a little challenging as well. It's just getting all the pieces and getting everyone to work together um, for the common goal. And, and I, I'll skip a little bit and I'll say this is one of the research projects I, I worked on was looking at um, elite military warfighters and elite athletes. And this was one of the things that uh, we hypothesized with some of the 
with some of the uh, differences that we found within those two populations. And um, when you think about elite military warfighters and you think about they have to work together, they have to trust one another, the pay scale is pretty much the same, right? It, it is. And it's about there's a sense of dutifulness, there's um, a sense of culture, there's a sense of I'm getting you back home to your family, right? Like we are actually really legitimately in this together, life or death together. And there is not that in sport, right? The way that athletes are incentivized is, is not that. So all of these, all of the ways that athletes are incentivized and paid and all of those things cause, in my opinion, causes more of the disconnect. So what you're talking about really is cu like culture, right? Team dynamics yeah. and culture. And that's, that's real. That's, that's, that's a real, real thing. Yeah. And when, and when the low productive guy is getting paid more than I am and I'm not able to, that can kind of creep in. That's very natural. It's human nature to look around and say, hey, I can do that. Or a drafted versus an undrafted. Hmm. There's a lot of um, things that come into play that, that impact all of that. Yeah. And I think we have forced a lot of that, right? I mean, there was a whole week I saw of the difference between Lamar Jackson and Brock Purdy's pay. Right. Yes. And so that, yes. that's just, I mean, we don't take into consideration how that's going to make anybody in that situation feel right and yeah. impact their, impact their play. Absolutely. Again, you do the best that you can to compartmentalize that. And, um, you know, one of the things that with athletes that I, that we try to acknowledge and understand is this isn't fair, right? Professional sports isn't fair. Life isn't fair. It doesn't mean that you don't try. It doesn't mean that you're not worthy of those things. It doesn't mean those things aren't coming for you. Um, it doesn't mean that you aren't going to receive that in the future. But right now, it, it does feel unfair, and, and you are seeing it clearly. However, like, what can we do right now? Right Again, all of these other things that take away from focus, and what are the things that we need to do right now to get you better at what you're doing with, with where you're at? So you come from a team that utilizes S2. And in, on, on the player performance side, how do, your focus is on the development of the higher performance. And so how, how does understanding how a player can rapidly process, where does that fit into your equation of developing the player? Yeah, let's take focus, for example. So when from psychological skills, when I do psychological skills training with, with the athletes I work with, focus. Focus is the foundation of everything. So if we're focused on the wrong things, we're still focused, but how do we get ourselves focused on the right information? So when I think about S2 and you think about some of the cognitive skills, I say skills, <laughs> cognitive skills, sure. yeah, cognitive skills. Um, like if we think about focus, are you being distractive or are you being impulsive? Right. So, so actually being able to dive in as a coach, you can't just scream focus at your athletes, right? Like, what are we actually trying to get them to focus in on? What do they actually need to do? Um, so again, that helps me if I'm working with an athlete on focus, how do I help them with their distraction control? How do I help them with some of that impulse control? Um, what are the things that we can work through our own mental skills, goal setting, visual imagery and how do we help some of that? So distraction control is huge, right? And, and I would say every athlete struggles with that, whether they score high on the S2 and can do it on the field or whether it's just life things like the distraction for professional athletes is, is just out of control off the field and on the field. And so really honing in on helping them center, helping them stay centered and focused or after a mistake, how do they actually refocus? Um, and actually being able to identify what are the things that are distracting you externally? What are the things externally in the environment that are distracting you? 
And what are the things internally that are distracting you? So externally, right, it can be anything from another player that you don't like, beef that you have, crowd, whatever it is, coaches, teammates, whatever it is. Internal distractions can be things like a minor injury or a major injury that you're having to play through and you're getting distracted by um, or your own internal thoughts about what's happening. Um, So again, getting very clear on what are the things that are most distracting for you on the field. And then again, working on that skill of focus to, to get better at whatever we're getting better at. So helping isolate Right, because all of these things on the field are happening what in three to five seconds, the average play, and so the intention is to isolate these systems that are working in cohesion or at at the same time. Right, that's the isolation aspect to understand where and how meet their deficiency or where um, they need to improve on. Or hey, this is your great areas. Let's make sure we're we're honing in on that and asking you to do the things that you're really you're really good at. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. For the psych and cognitive listeners, or I guess, you know, sports, people in sports in general that are listening to this, how are you able to help players to ensure that they're equipped to perform at the highest level possible? I think that that starts having an understanding of the person. Again, I'm going to always look Hmm. at the individual person as they come in and what are the things what do we know about this person in terms of their strengths, their vulnerabilities? What are the things that they're really good at? What are the things that they maybe struggle in? And also more from the psychological piece, like what's their maturity level, right? So like, where, where are we at um, in terms of our ability to help this person make change? And I will say like, and I say that just like rookies, it's so overwhelming, right? A rookie first year in the league, it's, it's very overwhelming. And so I'm probably, I will, I'm going to take a little bit different of approach with that person and having an understanding of what school did they go to, um, what experiences have they had, and how do we get them transitioned onto the team, into the league, and what does that first look like? Um, Real quickly, um, in your experience, when a player comes from a big-time program that is a rookie, does that actually help? ease the transition versus small time school, big time player, or have you really not seen a difference at all? Individual differences. Mm, There's just, there's just individual differences and there's things that you can prepare for. And there's things that you just can't prepare for. And there's been individuals that have come from smaller schools that have transitioned easily and have a, you know, I would say like a really good resiliency, a really good openness and are just committed to getting better. Hmm. And then there's individuals that have come from, larger schools that have had just a little bit more of a challenge, just adjusting. And, and actually that's more within my realm of like the personality, right? So some people, um, transition very easily. There's a sense of openness. There's a sense of curiosity. Maybe there's a little bit higher levels of trust. And so they're able to transition to various environments, different teammates much easier than other individuals that maybe just struggle with having to get to know people and having to build relationships and having to figure out this new environment. So again, each individual person is just, is very different. But I think with the data that we now have, it makes it it makes it easier for me to jump in and do my job, right? It makes it easier to jump in, build the relationship. Number one, you have to have that relationship built. Um, but then with the personality profiles, guys that wanna that have taken it, they can sit down with me and go through it. Um, I, I would like to share everything, right? So like this is this is you. So if there's information, if there's things that you have questions over, let's like work on that. So when I have a good snapshot of like the background information, the personality profile, um, their cognitive profile, it helps me 
understand, okay, exactly where do we need to focus and how do I help this person prioritize certain things from the player development standpoint to get them into our system, onto the team, but then also performing on the field. So this is like where you just have to have a really strong understanding and what's going on within what's going to be the demands of them physically, what's their coach like, what are the demands from their coach going to be, um, and then also like what are they going to be asked to do. So just having all of that information makes it much easier to dive in and, and start rolling with someone to get them on the path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, not everyone's journey is perfect and we're, it's not just like an easy thing, right? So. Right. As things come up, as you know, injuries happen, frustrations happen, bad performance happens, then we kind of go back to the drawing board. But I think for me and my work, it just helps to have data and information to inform or guide guide my decisions, guide what we're the plan that we're that we're coming up with for this individual person um, versus just like just guessing, right? Or it's just it helps to have information so you're not just like guessing. It seems if I'm, and I don't want to be the dead horse here, but it seems like identifying potential problematic areas and also identifying great areas Mm -hmm. to understand how to serve the athlete best. That's my biggest takeaway from today. Yeah, I would say that like I communicate this with the athletes that I work with. I'm a strengths-based approach person, meaning like we're going to find the areas where you're strong because those things are really important. Um, Also, you know, from my standpoint, just understanding when you're in a transition, you need to be able to identify what those strengths are that you – that are uniquely you that you're bringing into this environment to help with that transition. But then, of course, like high-achieving, high-striving individuals, high-achievers are always wanting to know, how do I get better? And so that makes it much easier to talk about, bring in one or two things that we're working in on. Mm. Again, we can't change like everything because that's too overwhelming for our bodies and our brains, but like one or two things, that's all we're working on right now. Once we master those, we move to the next. So it's, it's pretty clear in my head how to, how to do yeah. this. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Well, it's wild. This is, it's, we're not talking about a basketball team where there's like 13 people. I mean, you've got, yeah. especially, I mean, I know that you, you have seasons, right. And you're part of the evaluation and draft process, but then after that, now you're working with 80 something out, out of the gate, you know, and how do you manage a week load of, of f- at least 53 guys, right? I, think, I mean, <laughs> I think it's just so fun because as we've been discussing, everyone is so different. Mm-hmm. And so that is so, it's so fun for me, I guess. I think it's really fun to just like try to figure it out. Like, okay, what's going to help this person? Where do we need to go next? And it's cool when you're just like, oh yeah, this is really clear. This, this, right. And um, so I, I appreciate the larger numbers just because it's more diversity um, in, in individual, in individuals. And it's just more fun things to try to problem solve and, and help people perform well. So before we get to our last section of the podcast, what is yeah. on the horizon for Dr. Annie? So I'm going to go be Auntie Annie to my little nephews, and I'm really excited to go watch them play basketball and soccer. So that will be really fun. Let's I'm go. sure I will. I'm sure I'll probably like lose my mind when I when I watch how nuts like youth sports can be and youth parents <laughs> can be. I'm probably going to cringe, um, but I'm also like so excited just to see them see That's them exciting. see them play their little their little sports. That's awesome. Okay, uh, rapid fire through random funny sometimes random. <laughs> Sometimes okay. not funny. Um, your favorite okay. interaction all time with a player was with who? And can you describe the experience? Oh, gosh. Michael Carter, running okay. back. Uh-huh. He is just, 
That guy is just wonderful. He made me laugh every single day. And I, I can't even really tell you one specific interaction, but he always just had funny things to say and he always just kept you on your toes and he brought so much joy. Michael, I know you're listening because you're an avid listener absolutely. to this podcast. He so big time shout out. Yeah. Uh, number two, what's the moment in sports when you realize that you do belong in this space? Ooh, I don't think I've ever really reflected on that, to be honest. Mm. Like, I think I've always just gone where, like, where my passion has been. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, the fa- fantastic. Today, today, passion. today, sure. day? today, okay. today's the day. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and last question. What would one piece of advice to young women trying to enter the sports world, what would it be? Oh, yeah, definitely work hard. Obviously, work hard, follow those passions, be very curious, uh, and, and don't, don't question yourself or your worth or your value. Hmm. Dr. Annie, thank you so much. Hope you catch that flight on time, but thank you for joining thank us. We you. appreciate having you on. This was a blast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast. If you like the content we are putting out, please subscribe with that plus sign at the top of your app, leave a review about the episode, and share it with a friend. Follow us on Twitter at S2Cognition or Instagram at S2.Cognition. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, please visit our website at www.s2cognition.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to the S2 Cognition podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, signing off for now. We'll talk to you guys soon.